Beneath layers of fortified concrete and miles of earth, a group of scientists prepared for the culmination of years of research. Their laboratory was sterile and bright, filled with cutting-edge technology, much of it classified. They wore white coats, but these were not ordinary academics. They were experts in theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, and other disciplines too sensitive to be publicly acknowledged. They hovered around an intricate machine, its form reminiscent of an altar to some unknowable god. It consisted of a lattice of high-density capacitors, graviton emitters, and quantum processes, all built to manipulate the fabric of space-time. The air felt thick with both anticipation and the low, rumbling hum emitted by the machine. Its name was unspoken, reduced to an alphanumeric code known only to a handful of people. The project's financing had no budget constraints, pouring in from the hidden coffers of a black ops military program. As a result, the scientists had been able to focus solely on the practical challenges, bypassing the pesky ethical questions that often plagued such endeavors. Their goal was the stuff of science fiction, creating a stable wormhole for instantaneous travel. After triple-checking their configurations, ensuring every node and emitter was set to the precise calibrations, they left the immediate vicinity of the machine. Moving into a separate control room, they were now encased by walls of reinforced glass and composite materials designed to withstand intense pressures and temperatures. With a synchronized key turn and the pressing of several buttons, the machine roared to life. Lights dimmed as power was rerouted, and an eerie glow emanated from the device. For a moment, triumph filled the room. A swirling vortex of light and dark matter formed, the edges clear and stable. Success seemed within their grasp, but then, anomalies sprouted in the equations streaming down the monitors. The vortex within the machine twisted in a way that none of their models had predicted. It pulsed erratically, fluctuating in a chaotic dance of light and shadow. Before anyone could shut it down, there was an audible snap, like the breaking of cosmic strings, and the vortex ripped open into something that was decidedly not a wormhole. Alarms erupted in a deafening wail, red lights flashing in sync with the siren. The entire facility shook, as if angered by the affront to natural law. Automated protocols activated, sealing blast doors and initiating emergency containment measures. In the control room, eyes met in a mutual realization that they had torn a hole not just in space, but possibly in the very fabric of reality. And then, they waited for the readings to make sense, for the alarms to cease, and for whatever lay on the other side of that tear to reveal itself. The moment the alarm sirens erupted, the military aspect of the facility sprang into action. The base's lockdown protocols were far more than a mere safety precaution. They were an engineered system designed to contain catastrophes of an inconceivable scale. Giant slabs of titanium doors slammed shut, sealing off the laboratory from the rest of the complex. Hallways filled with a mist of nanomaterials aimed at neutralizing airborne pathogens or chemical agents. In armories, situated strategically throughout the facility, soldiers suited up in combat gear designed for situations not covered in basic training or any training. The exoskeletons they wore were laced with a mesh of bullet-resistant fibers and embedded with advanced sensory equipment. These were not ordinary troops, 
they were part of a special division trained to deal with extraterrestrial and extra-dimensional threats. Their weapons were loaded with specialized ammunition, tipped with a composite material meant to disrupt molecular bonds, useful against targets both known and unimaginable. They took up positions in front of the tear, which had now stabilized into a quasi-stable oscillation. Through it, they could see glimpses of the realm beyond, a landscape of nightmarish proportions. The skies seemed to be on fire, not with the setting of a sun but as if the atmosphere itself was ablaze. Shadowy figures moved in the distance, and colossal beasts, more skeletal than flesh, roamed under the fiery sky. Tension heightened as writhing tendrils, resembling elongated fingers made of some sinewy material, extended from the tear. They reached out like the tendrils of some deep-sea creature, flailing as if sampling the qualities of this new world, the air, the synthetic materials of the floor, even the electromagnetic fields surrounding the room. Almost as quickly as they appeared, they recoiled, snapping back through the hole as if burned or repelled by what they had found. But then, from the depths of that other world, an entity emerged. It looked vaguely human but distorted, as if reflected in a funhouse mirror. Its body was asymmetric, limbs elongated and bent at unnatural angles. The head, perched on a sinuous neck, was an unsettling tableau of misplaced eyes, mouths, and other features that defied description. Before it could fully step into this realm, the automated turrets that had been deployed around the perimeter of the tear detected the biological anomaly and activated. A hailstorm of specialized projectiles shredded the air, tearing into the entity and reducing it to ash and viscera in an instant. For a brief moment, there was silence, a collective holding of breath. Then, the soldiers adjusted their aim, and the scientists refocused their instruments, each wondering the same thing. Had they just halted an invasion or committed an act of war? And if this entity had been capable of finding its way through, what else could be waiting on the other side of that tear? The immediate crisis had been averted, but the tear still shimmered ominously, its edges fluctuating like the surface of some nightmarish liquid. Its presence was an affront to both physics and reason, and yet there it was, defying understanding, refusing to close. In the chaos that followed the entity's incursion, the scientists were not idle. Teams divided their efforts to find a solution. One group scoured through reams of data generated during the experiment, desperate to find some overlooked variable or critical error that could explain how to reverse the event. Another faction threw themselves into the theoretical underpinnings, perusing ancient texts that delved into speculative physics, cosmic topology, and even alchemy. These manuscripts, filled with arcane symbols and cryptic equations, had been dismissed by mainstream science but were considered valuable in a facility that regularly dabbled in the inexplicable. Parallel to the scientific hustle was the grim pragmatism of the military personnel. Contingency plans were assessed and reassessed. Among these, the most drastic was the option to detonate the facility. Buried deep underground, engineered with multiple fail-safes, the base was designed to contain even a nuclear explosion, ensuring that the devastation would be limited to the interior. This was the ultimate last resort, intended to prevent the unimaginable from breaching into the wider world. Yet, even this extreme measure was fraught with uncertainty. The high-level military commanders, 
always more cautious than their reputation suggested, hesitated. What if the nuclear detonation acted like a catalyst, enlarging the tear or making it permanent? The ramifications could be apocalyptic, transforming what was currently a localized anomaly into a global, or even universal, catastrophe. Each minute that ticked by was a minute in which something else, something potentially worse, could come through the tear. The pressure was immense. In the control rooms, fingers hovered over buttons, eyes darted between screens, and calculations were run and rerun, each one hoping to provide an alternative solution. It became increasingly clear that the tear was neither a simple physical phenomenon nor an issue that brute force could resolve. It was an enigma that existed at the intersection of science and existential dread, a problem for which there was no playbook. And while both scientists and soldiers readied themselves for another encounter, the tear seemed to pulse, almost as if it were breathing, awaiting the next move in this deadly interdimensional chess game. The uneasy quiet that followed the elimination of the first entity was shattered when new forms began to emerge from the tear. The soldiers, on high alert since the initial breach, responded with disciplined force. But they noticed something troubling. Each subsequent entity seemed to possess a higher degree of intelligence and cunning than the last. The first newcomers had approached haphazardly, almost stumbling through the tear as if by accident. The next set displayed a rudimentary understanding of tactics. They moved in a zigzag pattern, attempting to evade the automated gunfire. And as each wave was repelled, the next would adapt, showing evidence of learning or perhaps communication between attempts. The unsettling notion that these incursions were probing tests began to take root among the personnel, both military and scientific. Compounding the situation, surveillance cameras placed around the tear, which had been enhanced to peer briefly into the other dimension, revealed unnerving images. Beyond the fluctuating boundary of the tear, vast numbers of entities were gathering. The view was intermittent and distorted, like a signal struggling to come through, but what could be seen was enough to elevate concern to palpable dread. Among the teeming hordes were figures that seemed to stand apart, directing the others in some inscrutable way. These figures were more humanoid, less grotesque, but their intent was no less ominous for it. While the military dealt with the increasingly organized attempts to breach the tear, the scientists faced their own set of escalating challenges. Each incursion appeared to exert a strain on the tear, causing fluctuations that made it less stable but also, paradoxically, more resilient to attempts to close it. Theoretical models began to break down, defying prediction. Faced with an enemy that was both relentless and adaptive, the soldiers were ordered to change tactics. Automated turrets were reprogrammed for variable firing patterns, and soldiers with specialized weapons took positions to act as a second line of defense. The importance of preventing any entity from crossing over was reiterated, not just as a matter of immediate security, but as a last stand against an ever-growing unknown. As for the scientists, their attempts to reverse-engineer the calamity led them down increasingly esoteric avenues of research, merging hard science with speculative theory in a frenzied attempt to find a solution. Yet, despite the urgency and the unparalleled minds at work, answers remained elusive. All the while, the tear continued to pulse, its oscillations more frequent, 
as if reacting to the desperation on this side, or perhaps feeding on it. A grim realization settled over the facility. They were engaged in a battle of attrition against an enemy they could neither understand nor negotiate with, and time was running out. Amidst the mounting tension, even the most seasoned soldiers felt an undercurrent of dread that their training could not dispel. The armor they wore and the advanced weaponry they wielded had always given them a sense of invincibility, a confidence that they were the apex predators in any engagement. But that was beginning to change. The beings from the tear were evolving in their approach. Initially, their attacks had been straightforward and easily repelled. Now, they had moved from brute force to more calculated tactics. Instead of rushing through the tear en masse, they began to send through smaller numbers of increasingly complex entities that seemed to have specific tasks, probing the facility's defenses, assessing the effectiveness of weaponry, and even attempting to sabotage the automated turrets. To decipher the intent behind these actions, attempts were made to communicate with the entities. High-frequency signals, light pulses, and even chemical markers were deployed near the tear in hopes of instigating some form of dialogue. In response, the entities emitted guttural sounds that reverberated through the chamber. They were non-human, deeply unsettling, and yet displayed a complex tonal structure. Accompanying these were bizarre signals that disrupted the base's electronic systems temporarily, causing flickering lights and momentary lapses in surveillance coverage. The sounds and signals were immediately analyzed, but no discernible language or code could be identified. Still, the sophistication implied an intelligence that was both alien and unsettling. If they were sending messages, the content remained elusive. But the form alone indicated a chilling possibility. Whatever these entities were, they were not mindless beasts. They had a society, technology, and most disturbingly, a purpose that was driving them to breach the barrier between their world and ours. This change in tactics prompted a reassessment of strategy among the base's command. New defense measures were put into place, focusing not just on physical barriers but also electronic countermeasures to thwart the entity's increasingly complex methods of probing and interference. Specialized teams of cyber warfare experts were called in, firewalls were enhanced, and backup systems were taken offline to prevent possible compromise. While the soldiers fortified their defenses and the scientists delved into increasingly speculative realms of theory to find a solution, both groups understood a sobering reality. They were not merely facing a series of random incursions, they were up against an adversary that was learning, adapting, and preparing for something far more organized than isolated attacks. The dread among them grew, not because they feared they were outnumbered or outgunned, but because they were beginning to fear they were outthought. The moment when encrypted data packets began streaming into the secure channels of the military command was a turning point. Until then, the entities had been an abstract threat, a terrifying unknown from a reality incomprehensible to human minds. But what the scientists had discovered injected a new layer of existential horror into the situation. Biopsies from the incinerated remains of the entities revealed something that was both shocking and deeply unsettling. They contained human DNA. Not identical to modern human DNA, but close enough to make it unmistakable. This revelation prompted a whirlwind of questions. Were these entities mutated versions of humans? 
Were they the result of some divergent evolutionary pathway? Or something even more disturbing? Adding complexity to the already bewildering situation, further analysis of the footage from the other side of the tear showed glimpses of technology that bore an uncanny resemblance to Earth's designs. It was as if they were looking at dark mirrors of their own machines, twisted and adapted for purposes that were as yet unclear. Devices that looked eerily similar to drones hovered in the smoky skies beyond the tear, while structures that approximated communication towers rose in the distance. It was Earth technology, but distorted, as though evolved or engineered under drastically different circumstances. The implications were profound and shook the base's personnel to their core. These were not merely alien invaders from another dimension, they were, in some sense, human. And their technology was not just advanced, but perversely familiar. An inescapable question loomed. What calamity had befallen them to transform their world into a living nightmare, and what did it mean for the personnel tasked with preventing them from entering this world? The military higher-ups immediately classified the new findings, limiting knowledge to a select few. Not out of a desire to withhold the truth, but out of a fear that this information would demoralize the already tense soldiers and scientists working around the clock to contain the threat. Security measures were recalibrated with grim urgency. A new directive was quietly circulated. Any entity emerging from the tear was to be captured if possible, not merely destroyed. The hope was to study them, to understand them, and maybe, just maybe, communicate with them to find out how their world had diverged so horrifyingly from our own. Yet even as these efforts were redoubled, a heavy pall settled over the facility. If the entities were indeed some twisted form of humanity, what did that say about the potential darkness within all of humankind? And could that darkness be the very thing they were fighting to keep at bay? Outside the subterranean complex, the world seemed almost normal. Nature was indifferent to the potential apocalypse brewing beneath the soil. But upon closer inspection, one would notice an increased military presence that was anything but routine. Special forces teams, highly trained and heavily armed, patrolled a newly established perimeter around the underground facility. They wore advanced combat gear, a blend of Kevlar and reactive materials, each carrying specialized weaponry designed for rapid engagement with unknown threats. Unmarked military vehicles circulated around the area, satellite dishes aimed skyward, establishing a communication network that was isolated from all civilian channels. Covertly, air traffic in the region had been rerouted, with a no-fly zone established under the guise of military exercises. The alert level had been raised nationwide, all under the veil of a non-specific threat, to avoid inciting public panic. It was the sort of mobilization that one might expect in the event of an impending war, only this time the adversary was unlike anything human civilization had ever faced. From orbit, an array of satellites had been redirected to focus on the area around the facility. Equipped with sensors that ranged from optical to thermal to exotic spectrometers designed to detect anomalies in the fabric of space-time itself, they waited like cosmic sentinels for signs of an emerging nightmare. For now, their feeds showed nothing amiss, but their operators knew that could change in an instant. Deep within the underground corridors and chambers, where scientists and soldiers alike continued their desperate efforts to understand and contain the breach, 
the establishment of this external perimeter was both a comfort and a new source of dread. On one hand, it was reassuring to know that there was another line of defense, a safety net in case their efforts failed. On the other hand, the very need for such extreme measures was a grim reminder of just how much was at stake. And so the tension built, a taut string stretched to its limit, vibrating with the urgency of the situation. Above ground, special forces soldiers patrolled, their eyes scanning for abnormalities, their fingers resting lightly on triggers. Below ground, scientists pored over data, their brows furrowed in concentration, their minds racing through variables and calculations. And in between, in that narrow, shuddering gap torn into the fabric of reality, something was getting ready to emerge. What it would be, and what it would mean for both worlds, hung in the air like a question that no one dared to answer. In the depths of the underground facility, lit only by the cold glow of monitors and the occasional flicker of overhead lights, a breakthrough occurred. Cryptographers and language experts, who had been working around the clock, finally succeeded in translating some of the garbled communications emanating from the entities. The methods they used were a blend of machine learning algorithms trained on a host of human languages, pattern recognition software, and even some speculative quantum calculations to account for the different physical laws that might govern the other dimension. What they found was far from complete, yet what was decipherable sent chills down their spines. Among the chaotic signals and incomprehensible noises were fragments of messages that read like appeals for asylum, urgent calls for retreat, and directions for tactical engagements. But the phrase that resonated most strongly, appearing repeatedly throughout the decrypted communications, referred to Earth as Eden. This was a paradigm shift in how the facility's staff perceived the situation. Until this point, the entities had been viewed as invaders, mysterious and threatening beings from another reality. But the decrypted messages added layers of complexity and tragedy to that perception. Was it possible that these beings, these distorted versions of humanity, were not conquerors but refugees? Were they fleeing some unspeakable horror in their own dimension, so terrible that even a militarized, high-security facility on Earth seemed like an Eden in comparison? This new perspective brought little comfort. If Earth was an Eden to them, what did that make the facility's staff? Guardians of Paradise? Or jailers slamming the door on desperate escapees? The ethical implications were murky, clouding the clarity of their original mission. And the military commanders had to confront a dire question. Could they, in good conscience, authorize the annihilation of beings that might be seeking sanctuary? But while the decrypted messages humanized the entities, they also intensified the urgency of the situation. If Earth was considered an Eden, then it wasn't just a tactical prize for these beings, but a highly desirable sanctuary. This revelation made it painfully clear that the urgency to close the breach had escalated exponentially. Whether refugee or invader, the entities were focused on crossing over, and each moment the tear remained open increased the likelihood of an incursion that could not be contained. So the work continued with renewed fervor. Plans to capture and study one of the entities were fast-tracked. Theoretical physicists explored increasingly outlandish scenarios to close the tier. Soldiers above and below ground tightened their grip on their weapons, their eyes on the perimeter or fixed on the monitors displaying the dark, 
writhing landscape on the other side. Amidst the complexities, one thing became crystalline in its simplicity, the breach had to be closed. But as to how, or what ethical cost would come with each action, uncertainty reigned. Tension within the underground facility reached a fever pitch when surveillance feeds revealed new, horrifying developments. The entities had begun assembling siege-like machinery near the tear, grotesque counterparts of medieval trebuchets and catapults, fashioned from materials unidentifiable but clearly engineered for destruction. With terrifying coordination, these machines launched incendiary material through the tear into the base. Upon impact, the material began to eat away at both the titanium barriers and the very walls of the facility, as though the laws of chemistry were being rewritten in real time. Soldiers in advanced combat suits retaliated with every available weapon in their arsenal. High-caliber bullets, lasers, and even experimental ordnance were deployed, targeting the twisted siege equipment in the other dimension. Despite the disorienting effects of firing through a dimensional rift, they succeeded in destroying several of the machines. However, this victory came at a cost. The structure surrounding the tear was becoming increasingly unstable, and the rate of incursions began to rise. Engineers assessed the structural integrity of the facility around the breach and their conclusions were dire. If the erosion continued at its current rate, a catastrophic collapse was inevitable. The tear would widen uncontrollably, allowing an untold number of entities to flood into this world. Amid this chaos, military commanders had to make hard choices. Deploying more troops and strengthening the perimeter above ground seemed like an obvious move, but every soldier sent to the surface was one less to guard the tear underground. They were running out of options and time. The most drastic measure, a plan involving the detonation of an experimental device designed to collapse the tear, was taken off the shelf and put on the table. Yet, its use was a gamble of the highest order. If it failed to close the tear and instead destabilized it further, it could mean an end not just for the facility, but for the world as they knew it. As the entity's siege machinery continued its relentless assault, the facility's defenses strained under the pressure. Emergency repairs were carried out to reinforce the eroding walls, but it was a stopgap measure at best. Below ground, scientists frantically worked on recalibrating the machine that had caused this catastrophe, hoping to reverse the event and close the tear. The data from their previous efforts, combined with the unsettling translations of the entity's communications, led them to a theoretical but untested solution. As soldiers repelled yet another wave of incendiary assaults, a high-stakes debate raged among the commanders and scientists. They had reached a tipping point, something extraordinary and final had to be done. But what that would be, no one was certain. The moral weight of the situation began to manifest among the ranks of the soldiers. The whispers started quietly at first, circulating among small groups during rare moments of respite. The findings about the entities containing human DNA, coupled with the decrypted communications referring to Earth as an Eden, had seeped into the collective consciousness of the military personnel. Doubts, once gnawing quietly in the recesses of their minds, became more pronounced. Ethical questions that had no easy answers infected their thoughts. If the beings attempting to cross the breach were human, or something close to it, did that alter the soldiers' role in this crisis? 
Were they defenders of their realm? Or were they executioners denying sanctuary to desperate refugees? Or worse, were they jailers, coldly locking the door to a better world that these beings sought? These questions added a layer of complexity that no one had the luxury of time to fully explore. Despite their advanced training and discipline, the soldiers couldn't completely insulate themselves from the moral ambiguity of the situation. It was one thing to defend against an unambiguous enemy, it was quite another to possibly be the obstacle to another being's salvation. Though these considerations were potent, they were never openly discussed. The chain of command remained intact, orders continued to be executed, and the defense of the breach remained the primary objective. However, the mood had perceptibly shifted. A grim, almost palpable haze seemed to hang over the soldiers as they took their positions, reviewed their tactical plans, and performed their duties. The atmosphere had changed from one of clear-cut urgency to a more complicated blend of determination mingled with unease. Each trigger pull, each order to fire, and each successful repulsion of the entities became fraught with unspoken tension. The soldiers executed their duties with the same precision as before, but now there was an invisible burden that each carried. The stakes remained apocalyptically high, but now they were complicated by the shades of moral grey that coloured the entire operation. As the situation escalated, and as the tear continued to widen despite their best efforts, the soldiers girded themselves for whatever was coming next. And as they did, they couldn't shake the nagging questions that haunted the edges of their thoughts. It was a new kind of warfare, one where the enemy was not just external, but also battled within the minds of those tasked with keeping the horror at bay. In the labyrinthine corridors of the facility, where soldiers patrolled and scientists huddled around their workstations, a sudden lull took everyone by surprise. The ceaseless bombardment and incursion attempts had inexplicably stopped. Surveillance equipment monitoring the other side of the tear picked up unusual activity. Several humanoid entities were congregated in what appeared to be a deliberate gathering, akin to a meeting or discussion. The beings seemed to be communicating with each other, their gestures and postures exuding a sense of urgency. Soon after this meeting of sorts, the previously relentless attacks ceased altogether. The siege machinery was pulled back from the vicinity of the tear, and the hordes of entities that had been amassing seemed to disperse. It was an abrupt and puzzling change in behavior that left the facility's personnel both relieved and perplexed. Hours stretched into days, and the facility remained at a heightened state of alert. Soldiers kept their fingers close to triggers, and scientists continued their frantic work to find a way to close the breach. Yet, the expected resumption of hostilities never came. The other side remained ominously quiet. This unexpected pause led to a myriad of theories and speculations. Some suggested that the entities had decided to find another way in possibly exploiting vulnerabilities that the humans had not yet considered. Others postulated that the beings were regrouping for a more significant and coordinated assault. A more optimistic, yet equally unsettling theory, was that the entities had come to a decision after their meeting, a decision about the value, or perhaps the cost, of continuing their efforts to cross into this world. It was a respite filled with tension. The quiet was almost worse than the chaos that had preceded it, a silence thick with dread and filled with the spectre of unknown intentions. 
Every blip on a radar screen, every flicker on a surveillance feed, every irregularity in the data being collected was scrutinized for signs of impending action. The military command authorized reconnaissance missions into the area immediately surrounding the tear, prepared to meet any threat head-on but found nothing. Analytical models running on supercomputers projected probabilities and scenarios, but none could provide a definitive answer as to why the entities had stopped their aggressive advances. This puzzling calm unsettled everyone. It was a breather that allowed for repairs and recalibrations, for sure, but it also provided time for the soldiers and scientists to ponder the mounting questions and ethical dilemmas that had no easy solutions. While the silence from the other side of the tear offered a moment to catch their collective breath, it also cast a long, ambiguous shadow over the facility, deepening the complexities and the uncertainties of the crisis they faced. In a high-security command room, Military leaders and top-tier scientists gathered around multiple screens displaying data feeds and surveillance footage. The atmosphere was tense as they debated the merits and risks of a potentially game-changing operation. Finally, after extensive deliberation, the decision was made to proceed with a reconnaissance mission unlike any before. A specialized drone, equipped with advanced imaging sensors, communication devices, and self-defense mechanisms, was prepped for launch. Its mission was to cross the dimensional tear and collect data from the other side. Everyone knew that this could offer invaluable insights into the nature of the entities, their capabilities, and perhaps even their intentions. But the unknown variables were staggering, and the potential risks were colossal. The drone was launched, and as it passed through the tear, the room held its collective breath. For a few agonizing seconds, data feeds flickered, raising fears that the mission had failed before it had even started. Then, stabilized images began to appear on the screens, and what they revealed was beyond anyone's worst imaginings. The drone's camera showed an earth that was a nightmarish mockery of the home they knew. Cities lay in ruins, skies were choked with ash and fire, and the land was marred by craters and festering pools of unidentified material. As the drone navigated through this hellscape, it captured images of what appeared to be remnants of human civilization twisted into grotesque forms, familiar yet wholly alien technology, decayed monuments, and eerie traces of lives once lived. Most horrifying of all were the images of the entities. Up close, the human characteristics were even more evident, albeit distorted and mangled in ways that defied understanding. It was as if they had been subjected to conditions that had fundamentally altered their physiology, contorting them into shapes that could withstand an existence in a world gone mad. And among them were the humanoid figures that had been observed previously, standing with an air of authority and purpose, as if leading these malformed masses. But what truly sent shockwaves through the room was the discovery of what appeared to be children among the entities, smaller forms huddled near their larger counterparts, as if seeking protection. The drone transmitted back signs and symbols, etched onto surfaces or held up by the entities. When translated, they spelled out messages that were as straightforward as they were heartrending, help us, do not abandon, we are, you. Then, almost as if aware that it was being observed, a group of the entities looked directly at the drone, their eyes filled with an emotion that was unmistakably recognized by everyone in the room desperation. The feed went dead shortly thereafter, 
leaving behind a haunting tableau frozen on the screens. The room was awash in a heavy silence, broken only by the humming of computers and the distant sounds of a facility on high alert. The revelations thrust everyone into a state of ethical and existential crisis that went far beyond military strategy or scientific curiosity. The dimensional tear was no longer just a theoretical anomaly to be studied or a breach to be contained. It was a mirror reflecting the darkest possibilities of their own world. And the entities on the other side were no longer just threats to be neutralized, but twisted reflections of what they themselves could become. The haunting images transmitted by the drone forced a profound re-evaluation among the military and scientific personnel. What had initially been perceived as an incursion by monstrous entities now revealed itself as something far more complex and deeply troubling. The people, because that's what they now recognized them as, on the other side of the tear were not just survivors of some unimaginable apocalypse. They were families, communities, the tattered remnants of a society struggling to exist in conditions beyond understanding. The presence of children among them struck a particularly deep chord. Those young faces, though marked by hardship and surrounded by devastation, made it impossible to dismiss the beings as mere threats or anomalies. Here were youths who had never known a world that wasn't broken, who had never breathed air that wasn't toxic, who were growing up in an environment where every moment was a struggle against annihilation. It was one thing to rationalize conflict with faceless, monstrous entities. It was something entirely different to confront the reality that those entities were beings with familial bonds, with generational continuity, with love and with suffering that mirrored human experience. Among the scientists, a sense of urgency took on a new shade. The discussions shifted from purely defensive strategies and theories to include possible ways to initiate meaningful communication or even aid. Proposals that would have seemed absurd just days before, like the deployment of humanitarian aid through the tear, were now being seriously considered. The military leaders found themselves in an ethical quagmire. Every previously established protocol for dealing with hostile non-human entities had been rendered irrelevant. Defensive measures remained in place, but there was a palpable hesitancy now, a heavy burden of responsibility. Each decision had to be weighed not just against the immediate threat to security but also against a newly understood moral imperative. But amidst this crisis of conscience, the immediate reality remained. The tear was still open. Despite the pause in aggression, there was no guarantee of the other side's intentions or actions in the immediate future. The base remained on high alert, its defenses as active as ever, but the soldiers manning those defenses were now haunted by questions with no easy answers. And beyond all this lay the scientific enigma of the tear itself, an anomaly that defied the laws of physics as they were understood, a rip in the fabric of reality that begged questions not just about what lay on the other side, but also about the nature of their own universe. Is it possible to close it? Is closing it the right course of action? And if it was closed, what would become of those desperate souls on the other side? The tear had become more than a security breach. It was a moral, existential fissure that cut through every individual involved, forcing them to confront not just the boundaries of their professional duties, but the limits of their own humanity. Faced with this existential conundrum, the atmosphere in the high security command room grew increasingly tense. 
what had begun as a project driven by a fusion of scientific curiosity and military necessity had now opened a Pandora's box of ethical and moral dilemmas. The beings on the other side of the tear were no longer abstract threats. They had families, communities, and, most crucially, a shared lineage with humanity. Among the scientists, there was now a palpable push to develop a new set of protocols focused on interaction and perhaps even assistance. Theoretical physicists teamed up with linguists to understand the mechanics of the tear and to decipher the language and signals from the other side. Medical researchers began examining ways to offer medical aid, especially to the young ones who were clearly suffering. Meanwhile, military strategists found themselves wrestling with unprecedented challenges. The usual tactics for hostile engagement seemed inappropriate, even barbaric, when applied to these newly understood entities. As they reviewed data and discussed scenarios, an underlying question lingered, could they wage war against beings so similar to themselves? And if they did, what would that act say about their own humanity? But time was not on their side. The tear remained open, and there were no guarantees. A new layer of complexity was added when intelligence reports indicated that, despite the cessation of overt hostilities, the beings on the other side seemed to be preparing for something. The nature of the preparation was unclear, but the activity was evident. Were they gearing up for another attempt to cross over, or were they planning something else entirely? Thus, an uneasy balancing act ensued. While remaining prepared for any military eventualities, Efforts were also ramped up to find non-hostile means of interaction. Small, unmanned vehicles equipped with medical supplies and basic food were sent through the tear as a gesture of goodwill. As these unmanned vehicles crossed into the other dimension, surveillance footage showed groups of entities cautiously approaching the supplies. After what seemed to be an inspection, some of the supplies were taken, particularly the medical aid. The act was met with what could only be interpreted as a mix of desperation and gratitude. It was a small, cautious step, but one that hinted at the possibility of peaceful interaction. Yet, the command room remained a crucible of conflicting emotions and ethical quandaries. Everyone understood that they were walking a tightrope, with the stakes being nothing less than the essence of their own humanity. It was no longer just about defending their world it was about defining what kind of world they wanted to live in. The tear, initially a scientific anomaly to be conquered, had become a moral and existential test, challenging each individual to question the very foundations of their ethics and identity. The mood in the control room was somber as everyone watched the feed from the surveillance cameras. The faces of the entities on the other side appeared contorted, as if expressing a complex mixture of resignation, desperation, and perhaps even understanding. It was an image that nobody present would ever forget, an encapsulation of both the limitations and the responsibilities inherent to possessing technological power and ethical awareness. The scientists confirmed that the procedure had worked, the tear was now a dwindling swirl of energy, moments away from closing completely. A sigh of relief filled the room but was immediately tempered by an unspoken collective remorse. As the tear closed, Cutting off visual contact, the figures on the other side raised their arms, as if saying both a farewell and an indictment. The tear vanished completely, and the room was plunged into an emotionally charged silence. Despite the success in closing the tear, 
a sense of incompleteness loomed over the base. They had protected their own world but at the cost of abandoning a struggling society that was hauntingly similar to their own. The event left a permanent scar on the collective psyche of those involved, a nagging reminder that choices, even those made under the banner of security and scientific curiosity, always had consequences that were ethical and existential in nature. The days following the closure of the tear were filled with debriefings, reports, and assessments. The military classified the operation as top secret, under the strictest level of clearance. Among the scientific community, papers were written and then sealed, findings documented but never to be publicly disclosed. And yet, despite these efforts to shelve away the incident, it remained alive in the thoughts of everyone involved. Small groups began to form, unofficial and clandestine, consisting of both military and scientific personnel who had been part of the event. They began sharing information, stories, and most importantly, their emotional and ethical struggles regarding the incident. While the tear was physically closed, it had left open questions that neither science nor military might could answer. In private, many pondered what had become of the beings on the other side. Were they still alive, fighting for survival in their nightmarish world? Or had the last glimmer of hope been extinguished with the closing of the tear? It was a question that offered no easy answers, and the uncertainty served as a haunting reminder of the thin line that separates technological achievement from ethical failure, heroism from tragedy, one world from another. The tear was closed, but the breach between dimensions, between ethical imperatives, between versions of humanity, remained, a disquieting testament to the complexities and pitfalls of power and morality.